0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. We are all
1: overconfident in our ability to deal with things.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Carol Terrio returns. She's got a conversation with Rebecca McEwen. She's an independent chartered psychologist. She's worked with the UK's Ministry of Defense. And she's been studying the psychology of cyber response. So we'll look forward to that later in the show. All right, Joe, let's uh, kick things off with some stories this week. What do you have for us? Dave, this week I didn't want to go with just one story.
3: I wanted to go and talk about fishing lures this week because some of these you will expect and some of these you will not. These are fishing lures that we're talking about in terms of how these malicious actors get you to click on a phishing link and what kind of thing they're going to send you to get that interaction with you to get whatever malicious software or whatever it is that they're going to do. This is always the first kinetic action in any kind of attack after the research phase. And a lot of times it's actually the first action. They just send out a spray and pray campaign where it's just, we're just gonna send the email to everybody on this list and see how many people we get. It's a numbers right. game. So the first category I have here is holiday themed fishing. That is going to be really big right now. Of course, it's gonna come up in a couple of genres. You're gonna find the incredible sales that are gonna to lead to fake websites. Like we had that story a couple of weeks ago about the kayak website. Right. Where you could buy a kayak for uh, very little money. And the scam was that they would charge your credit card the very little amount of money for a kayak and then send you some piece of garbage in the mail, literal piece of trash so that they had a tracking number and they could exist long enough to get the money and run.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the the website was a, it looked like they actually scraped the real website and exactly reposted it somewhere. That's right. So those are
3: out there. It's a real risk. There's the package delivery scam because right about now we are experiencing all of us, massive amounts of deliveries because many of us celebrate holidays right around now that involve giving of gifts. So what better way to scam somebody who might be expecting a package than to send them a package email about we couldn't deliver your package.
2: Oh, right, right. And we're sending it back to the person that shipped it to us. Hmm. Because these packages are time sensitive this time of right? year, right? Yeah. They, last thing you want is somebody to, uh, you know, your 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 precious little snowflake of a child to go down on Christmas morning and find uh, <laughs> nothing underneath the <a> tree. <laughs>
3: yeah, like Harry Potter's cousin on his birthday.
2: I can't remember that character's name, but <laughs> yeah,
3: right, right. There's only twenty three last year. There was twenty four. <laughs> right.
4: Yes. Exactly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the other one that's big around holidays is charity fishing scams. The best thing to do to avoid those is just go directly to their website and give directly to them or write them a check and send it to them in the mail.
2: Yeah. Yeah. People are trying to tug at your heartstrings this time of year because it's a tough time of year for a lot of people. And of course, things are particularly tough this year, 2020 being the year that it is. And
3: traditionally, this is a time of year when people do tend to give more money. So they're more willing to do this. Their generosity peaks around now. Yeah. So beyond the holiday Theme fishing. There's there's also the always present current events fishing. Domain Tools has a story about phishing that uses current caucuses conflicts between Armenia and Azerbaijan as a means of getting you to open up a malicious uh, Excel
2: document. But this must be targeted to specific people, right? This wouldn't work on me or you. right? Yeah, it, it
3: wouldn't work on <laughs> us here in America, but maybe, right. maybe if you live over in the Caucasus region or somewhere in the Mediterranean, you might be more concerned about it, right? Yeah. They're definitely targeting a specific group of people when they're doing this, and they're sending these malicious pieces of software embedded in these documents out to people in that region. They may even have email lists that are targeted to that region. So they just go, okay, well, I only want to send this to people in that area, and that's where I'm going to send it. That right. way I'll increase my effectiveness if you will. I would advise everybody to be on the lookout for COVID vaccine phishing emails because that's gonna be happening here, particularly in the United States very soon. Yeah. right. Uh, You're gonna be getting people who are gonna try to scam you out of money. Hey, jump ahead in line for 200 bucks. Give me 200 Mm -hmm. bucks and you can get your vaccine first. I don't think that's going to happen so in the real world but people are going to scam you out of that thinking that it's going to happen.
2: You can do Right. It. And well, and taking advantage of so much uncertainty right now as as sure. this is rolled out and, you know, we have a an issue with just the way news is being delivered, you know, of who can you trust and who do people trust? So that right. these scammers take advantage of all that. Absolutely. And here's something interesting. Inky had a good
3: story this week. Inky is a uh an email filtering security company. They had a story about the election still being used, even with having the election like a month or two in the past, right? Yeah. What they're doing is they're sending out malicious files that are disguised as evidence of election interference. Ah. So they're going after people who might believe that the election was interfered with, and they're saying, open this file up, and the file is, of course, malicious. So
2: Right. Let me uh, let you in on a little secret here, just between you and me. Actually, that's a very good hook.
3: It doesn't really matter who you're targeting. We had one a couple of weeks ago where we talked about something about the election, where it was, here's something about Trump, something like that. I can't remember what it was exactly. It was worded. So it, it appealed to anybody that had any interest in the election.
2: Right. It didn't matter if you loved him or you hated him. Right. It was it was crafted in such a way to pique your interest either way.
3: <laughs> right. And Dave, here's the easiest part of any security professional's job, and that is uh, making predictions. because all you have to do is say something bad's going to happen. And then when it happens, go, see, I was right. It's like being a weatherman. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) The two fishing lures that are going to be coming up soon, particularly after the holidays are over, are the tax-based fishing scams and the next round of stimulus check fishing scams. Mm,
2: mm -hmm. Those
3: are both going to be big. As soon as there is a stimulus bill passed, look for those fishing emails. They're going to come out and people are going to be trying to get your personal information, maybe even getting you to pay some kind of advanced fee scam. It's all scams. It's yeah. all going to be scams. The tax-based phishing scams are going to be maybe threatening letters from the IRS telling you that your, your taxes are, uh, are, have been noticed as fraudulent and you have to pay a fee to get yourself from being arrested. That's not how that works either. So just be mindful that these are what's going to happen. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this. This is always going to be the case we're always going to have this kind of situation where whatever the current situation is somebody's going to be taking advantage of it
2: yeah well i think also it's a good reminder that as you are interacting with your friends and your family and your loved ones over the holidays be it uh, you know remotely or whoever you're getting together with and we encourage you to do it remotely uh, (laughs) for safety's sake. But, you know, chances are you're going to be having phone calls. Maybe you're going to be having a video conference or something like that. This is a great conversation to have just to remind everybody, hey, here are a couple things to be mindful of. For those of you who are regular listeners to this show, you're going to be tuned into this stuff. But I think we have a responsibility to look out for our loved ones, our friends and family, to um, plant the seed with them to be a little skeptical about these things, something we can all do to try to make things better together. Dave, I couldn't have said it better myself. All right. My story this week uh, is from a gentleman named uh, Matthias Wilson, and uh, he put together a blog post here that uh, is a lot of fun. It's called, How to Troll a Nigerian Prince. Uh <laughs> This is this is right up our alley. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm going to quote some of the things in his blog here. He says, boy, am I lucky. <laughs> Stephen Richards, a regional director for UBS Bank, just informed me that I am entitled to over 16 million pounds. Stephen sent me the information in German from a Hotmail account as he explained that he was doing this without the knowledge of his employer. All right, so already we've got a secret, you know, just between you and me. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Keep this on down low. Yeah, Matthias says, at first I was devastated. Losing relatives is always hard, and I didn't even know them. (laughs) <laughs> the story was that someone had passed away. What's interesting here is that he knew that at some point he was going to have to show some identification. This was a payment scam. This is an advanced payment scam. Right. And Matthias, he knew it was an advanced payment scam, but he wanted to play along as, as far as he could. We've talked about these things before, but there's some interesting little uh, twists to this one. He knew he was going to have to present an ID at some point, so he Googled pictures of German IDs until he found one that might do the job. I never really thought about this, but yeah, you can just just Google for IDs, and you'll get a lot sure. of them because people post pictures of their IDs. <laughs> They're not hard to come up with. I, I don't understand why people do that. But so uh, he got a phone number from uh, this person who's going to play along with the scam. Uh, Matthias opened a, a ProtonMail account uh, in the name of the ID that he found online, the German ID that he found online, uh, who uh, was named Thomas. Uh, so he decided to call the scammer. He called the scammer. It was a virtual phone number that was registered in the UK. And so he called up and uh, wouldn't you know it, the scammer didn't sound British at all. He, no. had, a, he had a thick African accent. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Matthias gave Thomas a thick German accent and he said that he'd need to send a letter. This The scammer said that Matthias would have to send a letter to UBS, the bank, uh, making his claim to the 16 million pounds. And he gave him an email address. And of course, the email address was not a real UBS Bank email address, but it was one that at first glance you could think was one. It's info at UBS Investment Remit Right. And that
3: right. is something we see frequently where these guys go out and they register these domains that are like
2: copycat domains. Yeah. So he sends an email off uh, requesting the, uh, the 16 million pounds. He gets a, a letter back that says, uh, we require the following information from you. And it's all the usual things, all of his bank account information, along with his ID. So what Matthias does next is he looks up online again. He finds some fake banking information. Evidently, easy to look up. <laughs> <laughs> banking information that was used in another scam. Boy, Google is, you can just find anything these days. So he cooks up a fake form, sends it back to him with fake banking information, sends a fake payment receipt, and uh, strings this scammer along. Now he decides to take it to the next level, and he decides to send the scammer an email from Interpol. <laughs> and Interpol is a European law enforcement. It's not just the EU either. It's a lot of countries Yeah, I think it's a consortium. Yeah, it's a, yeah. So um, he finds an online service that allows you to spoof email from anyone. Uh, And so (laughs) he uh, cooks up an email from Interpol claiming that um, this character that he's cooked up, this German named Thomas, uh, has been arrested for bank scamming. Uh,
3: now, uh, <laughs> a little note to our listeners, that may not be legal
2: <laughs> to, <laughs> no, it to, to send the email as Interpol. Probably not. There was an interesting twist on that that we'll get to in a second. Okay. So he calls up the scammer uh, as if he is the person from Interpol. Right. And then he hands the phone over to Thomas, who is also him. Right. right, he's playing both roles. Oh, he's a guy after my own heart here, Joe. He's this this playing is great. All these roles. I yeah. love this story, Dave. And he he hands the phone over to the fake character Thomas. Thomas is crying because he's been arrested, <laughs> and the scammer is 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 going is buying all of this hook, line, and sinker. And the scammer is mad at Thomas for for getting <laughs> himself in trouble. It's funny. Right? The
3: scammer is mad, not scared.
2: Well, yeah, and isn't that interesting? I I think probably because the scammer's halfway around the world. Right. He feels outside of the reach of Interpol. Yeah, exactly. What are they going to do? How often does a Nigerian scammer get busted? I I don't know. Rarely happens. By the rate at which they
3: continue to scam, I would say the bust rate is very low.
2: So it goes on. Now, the interesting little twist to the end here is that eventually the scammer is on to him. The scammer Ah. figures out there's something going on. He stops replying to his emails. So a couple days after that, Matthias goes to log on to the original ProtonMail account that he created to to Mm -hmm. kind of be the foundation for all of this stuff. And according to the ProtonMail team, someone reported his account and provided them with messages as evidence that the email account was being used for the purpose of an advanced fee scam. Ah, (laughs) So, so it sounds like the Nigerian and perhaps in a a fit of frustration reported the account, which is, I suppose, all he could do.
4: Right. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I'll uh, extract
3: my vengeance by shutting this guy's
2: email down. Right. And he did. Yeah. So it's a fun story. A couple of interesting little twists here, things that I don't think we've we've seen before or have thought about, really. I mean, it follows the pattern of an advanced fee scam. And also, it, it's, it's not atypical of the types of things that happen when somebody is leading one of these people on. And, of right. course, you and I enjoy this very much because there's nothing we like better than... Wasting Scammers' Time. Absolutely. That's that's one of
3: my favorite things to read about.
2: There's a lot more details to it than we had time to cover here, so we'll have a link to the whole story uh, in the show notes. It's a fun read, and hats off to Matthias for uh, Wasting the Time of a Nigerian Prince Scammer. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our Catch of the Day. Dave, our Catch of the Day comes from a
3: listener named Christian And Christian got an email that is a typical email, but I'm just going to go ahead and have you read this. It's pretty good.
4: Good afternoon. I'm Miss Grace Wilson, a member of Roman Catholic Church, a true born again Christian and a widow. I lost my beloved husband eight years ago. Thereafter, life seems to be unfair to me, suffering from cancer. I'm writing this message to you from Catholic Biblical Hospital, South Scotland, London, where I was admitted for over 11 months now as a result of cancer of uterus, which I don't know if I can survive it because my doctor recommended me for a surgery which is coming up soon. He made it clear to me that it is the only solution to my illness. And I've thought about the deposit my late husband made with North United States for the purpose of charity, and I decided to establish a communication with you to help me and distribute this donation to the orphans, motherless babies, less privileged children, and widows like me. That's why I came to you, to make sure that this charity work must be accomplished to fulfill my late husband's wish. I will patiently wait for your response, through my private email address, Miss Grace Wilson.
3: (laughs) So many great things about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: uh.
3: First sentence, I am a member of the Roman Catholic Church, a true born-again Christian. Hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't know how many Roman Catholics describe themselves as born-again Christians. It seems to be here, at least here in in America, those two groups of people are two distinctly different groups of people. That's right. <laughs> who don't don't describe themselves as both those things? No, like oil and water. They right, do not exactly. <laughs> yeah. Writing from Catholic Biblique Hospital, South Scotland, London. Last time I checked, London was in England,
2: <laughs> not Scotland. Unless they moved it know. to South well, Scotland. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there is a South Scotland, London, and it's just we're just uh, sh- uh, who knows? Maybe right. I'm sure a so, listener will let us know if there's a region of London called South Scotland? um, Well, like Little Italy or, you know, (laughs) Chinatown. That's a good point. Maybe because London is South of
3: Scotland. Maybe there is like a a Scottish neighborhood that's South Scotland in
2: London. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, you know, us Americans are known for our knowledge of geography outside of the the US. So, you know. Uh, Well, I don't know about (laughs) neighborhoods in in London.
3: Uh, There is, I like this, North United States. (laughs) What is that? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, that that country doesn't exist,
3: at least not yet anyway. Um, (laughs) I love this. It's a great one. Thank you for sending it in, Christian. Yep, that is a good one. And that is
2: our catch of the day. Joe, uh, it's great to have Carol Terrio back on the show. Always great when she joins us. Always good stuff. And uh, this week, uh, she's got a conversation with Rebecca McEwen. She is an independent chartered psychologist uh, and she has experience researching and evaluating learning and development across the Ministry of Defense over in the UK. And uh, lately, she's been studying the psychology of cyber response. Here's Carol Terrio speaking with Rebecca McEwen.
0: Hacking Human listeners, we have Rebecca McEwen. Now, she is a chartered psychologist and a visiting lecturer at Cranfield University. And we're going to talk a bit about about how we react in crises and how we can maybe be more effective than a headless chicken in the next one. So, first, a very warm welcome to Hacking Humans, Rebecca. Hi, thank you. Now, uh, you're a psychologist who also has experience with the Ministry of Defense, is that right? That's correct, yes. Okay, so what can you tell us? Just give us a little bit of insight on what you do. I mean, sort
1: of, most of my career as a psychologist has been doing research for the Ministry of Defense into learning and development, education and really how people learn, putting that together with how my knowledge from a psychology point of view as to how the brain works. If you design learning around how the brain works, then, you know, things might
0: be a bit more successful. Okay, well, that is a perfect segue. So I have no idea how the brain works, but I know that when there's a crisis in my life or at my work, it changes dramatically in my head. So what can you tell me about that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah sure there's this uh, a very small part of the brain called the amygdala And that is responsible for an awful lot of trouble. It's one of these things that as soon as that picks up on a message that there's some sort of threat coming in, it sends a chemical reaction through the central nervous system to the adrenal gland, and that produces adrenaline. So as soon as that adrenaline kicks in, what happens is is your body is now in fight mode or flight, Mm -hmm. um, depending on how it goes. And your perception of everything that's going on around you narrows. So it's called cognitive narrowing. So as soon as adrenaline starts to flow, what your brain is doing is cutting out all of the unnecessary noise that comes into it from everything else and focuses you very narrowly on the threat that you need to work on. Now, in the olden days, that was we were running away from a saber-toothed tiger. Nowadays, it could be anything and A cyber attack is exactly that. There has to be some sort of a physiological reaction when the penny drops that
0: something really bad is going on. Basically, it's like an emergency and we hyper-focus on a solution. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. So is there drawbacks to having that There are
1: two sides to everything. I mean, very positive thing because you don't need to be distracted by much. So you do need to focus in order to deal with this crisis. However... It also means that because you are so narrowly focused, you are also missing a whole load of information. And that causes the brain, we call it cognitive biases. Mm -hmm. So because the brain's a limited capacity information processor, and you have so much information coming in, Mm. it chooses what you're going to pay attention to. And that kind of is a bit of an issue, really, because it might not choose what you need to focus on. So it's really about once you understand how the brain works and how those biases can come into your ways of thinking, you can then sort of try to to train for that. It's not something that you can do overnight. Training is lifelong learning, but with certain skills placed into that, so you can actually learn to recognize when these things are happening, you know then to switch your mindset to a more flexible one instead of that
0: hyper-focus. If we understand what's happening, we then can counter our brain's immediate kind of automatic, practically, reaction to make sure that we're encompassing everything we need to do in order to safeguard a particular situation.
1: Yes, you can do exactly that. I think the biggest point to learn is that um, a lot of people think about learning and they think in terms of training events. What does that mean, training events? A training event, you go on a course or you log onto an online course, you go to a classroom. Right. Um, somebody comes in, they, they PowerPoint you to death. You maybe do a little test and off you go again. Yeah,
0: and you don't remember anything a week later. Yeah,
1: and that type of learning is great. I mean, for example, with the military, you use that type of training to learn to operate an SA-80 gun. Well, that's not something you want people to learn by error. You know, the <laughs> chaos yeah. will you. But with more sort of things that are more psychologically focused, it needs to be a very gradual process. Yeah. This phrase, unconscious bias, it's unconscious. So you can't know that it's happening. So it's learning to understand sort of patterns. In military terms, we call it left of bang. Left of bang. Left of bang. What happens before it all kicks off? What are those cues? So you have something happening. Is this malware? Where is it? What are the command and control server domains? Is it an advanced persistent threat? There's a whole load of information that's coming into the brain. Based on experience, you will say, oh, all of these things indicate that it's X type of attack.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, that's what we call attribution bias. So, you know, you've, you've consulted into your memory banks and what you've done is decide you're going to attribute the cause to this particular Thing. Yeah, and you're limited by your
0: knowledge, of course. And
1: you're limited by your gotcha. knowledge and your background and your experience, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, once you've, you've attributed it to something, what you do then is called confirmation bias. So you are then looking for evidence to support your theory. And you kind of don't necessarily, your brain is so busy looking for that, it doesn't necessarily take on things that are going to contradict your view. okay. There's another bias called availability bias. So for example, um post WannaCry, that was in the news, it was every, you know, it was just everywhere. People were talking about it. So because that sort of thing is available to your memory, it pops out first. It might actually not be relevant at all. So that's an availability bias. The information is the most recent that you've been talking about because memory works on primacy, recency, and unusual things. So it's it's whatever happens the first time you came across it, whatever's most recent or any unusual events, everything else becomes an amorphous sort of blob of memory.
0: Next time I speak at a conference, I'm never going to go in the middle. Always first or last. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly a good trick that. to learn.
1: <laughs> the one final one that we're all overconfident in our ability to deal with things. Really? especially when you somebody who's I thought you were gonna say especially men <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's just somebody who's experienced you know your stuff I know my stuff I miss things because I'm primarily a
0: human being rather than a psychologist you know so right and then if people are kind of like excuse me I think you'll find they're like nope I know exactly I've been here before thank you very much little Tim do that yeah Right. So, okay, so so we have all these biases and they all make sense to me. I can see I would have all these. How can I counter them to help me get through it now that I'm aware of them? Right. Well, this is where
1: the training comes in. You have a mental model of the way the world works, cyber events particularly, and every experience you have matches into that. So you build up that experience. Mm-hmm. As I said, and that makes you super, super effective. To counteract that, you need to have enhanced thinking skills, which are called metacognition. It's like super hyper-aware. Super hyper-aware. Okay. Well, it's kind of like there's two elements to it. There's enhanced learning. So that's sort of doing lots of different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So with the immersive crisis simulator, there are countless number of scenarios you can use. You keep training with those. Then what you do is you learn to recognize patterns. And it's not patterns of the information on the surface. It's those subtle little cues. Right. So it's the underlying patterns beneath that. And you also then learn to sort of slow down that thinking slightly to counteract the bias by considering alternatives. So if you train by different scenarios, pattern recognition, looking at alternatives, you become more experienced in that flexibility of thinking, which counteracts the focus thinking. Yes. So you're saying train your brain or train your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got this, this metacognitive skills and basically it's so simple. It's plan, monitor, evaluate, reflect. It's a little cycle that you just go around, but you have to build that into the training and learning process. So, for example, with the military, you have what's called an after-action review. What was supposed to happen? What actually happened? What could we have done better? What went wrong? That type of thing. But if you include right, so what cues did we look at in the first place? How did we act to that? Did we challenge that thinking? So it's about amending that slightly to look at the psychological patterns and the ways of thinking, and then you learn from that. So the next time round, you plan, you monitor how it goes. Afterwards, you evaluate. So after the second one, you go, well, actually, I don't you know. I think we were a bit quicker then. It was, it felt a little bit easier. And then you sort of reflect on that that's the, the felt a bit easier bit so yeah because actually do you know what i didn't feel as bad afterwards it made me feel better because i felt more in control you're building up that automatic way of responding in a different way so you have the experience thing, but you also then have this wonderful flexibility to know well actually hang on a minute i need to have a think about this something has told me this could be
0: different well, Rebecca McEwen, you have given us a lot to think about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so no, it's wonderful. And I can tell you're just a huge <laughs> mine of information that could help our industry. Um, so this was Rebecca McEwen, a chartered psychologist and a visiting lecturer at Cranfield University, who also has experienced the Ministry of Defence. Thank you so much for coming on Hacking Humans. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, pleasure's all mine. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All right, Joe, what do you think? Great
3: interview. I love that interview, Dave. I get the distinct feeling that we do not have enough psychologists in the field of cybersecurity. I think we need more people from the field of psychology involved in our field, and I think we need to do more research in this field. This is not just a technical field. There is a huge human component to this, and industrial psychology is a perfect fit for cybersecurity. When there is a crisis... Rebecca's talks about the chain of events that starts in the amygdala whenever there's a crisis, and that fires off a, adrenal glands. Then you experience this thing called cognitive narrowing. Mm-hmm. And that's the hyper focus. Other things in your view, they disappear. And this is the short circuiting we've been talking about on this show for two and a half years. Right. right? Whenever somebody gets in your face with an email that's very threatening or a phone call that's very threatening, these scammers do exactly this. They're actually, this is a physiological response they're trying to enact in your body to get you to go along with them to arrive at what you hope will be a solution, but is actually just a scam. So it doesn't just happen in a situation like when you're responding to a cyber event. It happens in a lot of things. And Rebecca is exactly right. This is an evolutionary defense that we have that has protected us against, I think she used saber-toothed tigers as an example, <laughs> right, right. which is exactly right. But, you know, you you think about not even just saber-toothed tigers. Have you ever been chased by a dog when you were a kid?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think about things like when you're, you know, taking a walk and you accidentally come across a snake or something, you know, it's right. some sort of unexpected, or it could be a deer or just any unexpected wildlife right. <laughs> that surprises you. Yeah. You know, I think that causes that flush feeling that flows through you where all of a sudden, you go, ah! <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it might be running in the other direction. Right. That response will help you survive, but that response will also
3: do you a disservice in certain situations like responding to a cyber event or while you're being scammed. I like what Rebecca says about training being lifelong learning. You must always be able to adapt and not just in terms of cybersecurity, but I firmly believe you have to be able to adapt and develop new skills and everything. Uh and that benefits you immensely. The idea that you're ever done learning, if you're of that mindset, I think it's beneficial for you just to get out of that mindset and to always be trying to learn new things.
2: You can't just rest on your laurels, you know. You got to even just staying current requires effort because yeah. these Every, you know, these things evolve. And so you, to protect yourself from the the day-to-day things that are out there trying to take advantage of you, you,
3: you got to keep up. Something I found very interesting in this interview was that she said, we're all overconfident in our ability to deal with things. And that to me is fascinating because I don't think of myself as overconfident in, the, in my ability to deal with things, but I'll bet I am. <laughs> you know, that
2: sounds like me, <laughs> you know? It's, Go on, Joe. Go on.
3: Even as she's saying it, I'm I'm going through this process, but you know, but I I think <laughs> of myself as adaptable and I can handle this. And mm-hmm. I think that just speaks to the fact that what we need is this level of experience uh <laughs> that she's talking about in order to get through these events. Maybe as I'm looking at this as a man in, in his 50s, thinking, uh, you know, I, I have enough life experience to understand and calmly handle things, and maybe I do, but who knows? I mean, it's never really been tested,
2: right? Right. right. Or at least Joe, you're overconfident. You
3: don't know me. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and She talks about a lot of biases. We have so many biases, and controlling for those yeah. can be difficult. One of the things that, that she says towards the end of the interview is plan, monitor, evaluate, and reflect. And whatever process you have, make sure that you're doing that deliberately. Make sure that you're thinking about this process. So let's say you're using the plan, monitor, evaluate, and reflect that, that Rebecca talks about. Make sure that you're doing that you're thinking about that as you're doing it. Like, okay, let's plan for the event. A couple weeks ago, we had somebody who one of our guests said that just pick up a newspaper and look at a story and say, how would we handle this if this was us? Which I think was Mm a great idea. Monitor what you're doing, evaluate how well it works, and then reflect upon it and put that back into your process. Do those things deliberately. Whenever an event is over, do a postmortem and say what worked and what didn't. And be as frank about it as you can. And be open to revising the process. Don't take ownership of a process that you developed. It's not your child. It's just a process that's flawed. It's okay to update these things.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, our thanks to Rebecca McKeown and Carol Terrio for bringing us that interview. Always a pleasure to have her on the show. Looking forward to having her back again soon.